Hey, this is Ellie Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse podcast. Today I'm joined by... Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film. And the guest for today's episode, Miguel Arteta with Patrick Bryce. Yeah, these are two directors who both happen to be working with the Duplass brothers at the moment, working out of their office, both in post-production and working with the same editor. So what could be more natural than to get the two of them together for a podcast? Patrick went around to Miguel's home, sat in his extra tall chair, sipped his coffee with soy milk. They had a great time, which is understandable because Patrick is a huge fan of Miguel's work. Everything from Chuck and Buck to The Good Girl to Cedar Rapids. The feeling's mutual. And the feeling is mutual. Miguel is a huge fan of Patrick's movie, The Overnight, and he hasn't actually seen Creep, but we'll get to that in a moment. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. The guys have a fantastic conversation, punctuated by an interesting start partway through it. It's funny. It's like a really long pre-credit sequence. Uh, and then they decide they're, they're very professional and they do like a little intro and, and, and let us know exactly where they are and what they're doing. But it's, it was all on the record, just so you know. Some very choice moments here. One of my favorites, the guys talk about the difficulties of navigating the power structure of the studio system. Yeah, Patrick is about to do his first studio movie. Miguel has been in the system for a long time, even though he's, he's an indie director. He's worked for, with Disney, he's worked with Focus. He's done a lot of stuff with the big guns and, and he knows what's up. There's also a great anecdote about Martin Scorsese's fascinating audition methods. Which was part of a bigger story of a nightmare TV show situation that Miguel was in. Not Scorsese's fault, of course. Marty can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. They also talk about Jason Schwartzman, who they've both worked with, and his momentary reticence to take off his shirt due to just a touch of dad bod. Yeah, not that either of us know anything about that, but uh, it's funny because fatherhood is actually a subject that, that comes up as a big focus of the talk because Patrick just became a father and it's a huge aspect of his life. And they talk about it also particularly in the context of what's happening in the world and and. Our current, the T word. The T word, our current president. And of course, the, the, another interesting aspect is that Trump is really kind of a huge undercurrent in Miguel's new movie, Beatrice at Dinner, starring Salma Hayek and, and John Lithgow and Connie Britton. And it's kind of a, a comic parable about politics in, in our current age, which was made before Trump became president, but is so prescient now. Nick, I'm still wondering why he hasn't seen Creep. Dude, it's, it's a mystery. And I think we owe it to ourselves to finally find out. Let's see. I have not watched Creep. I want oh, to watch right. it. My wife watched it and she's still freaked out. Oh, good. So uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on. I watch it. I'm, I'm quite a scary cat when it comes to horror. Me too. You are? Oh, uh, completely. We uh, didn't, Mar I mean, Mark will say the same. We didn't think we were making a horror movie. Okay. We, we thought we were making like a dark comedy character yeah. study. And it, was, it wasn't until we showed it to people that, that they were like, you guys made a horror movie. You need to, <laughs> That's you know. That's amazing. And because it was just Mark and I, and we had no crew besides Chris, yeah. uh, you know, when there were changes to be made, you know, after these after these horrifying test screenings, you know, yeah. we would we would go out and reshoot it because we had no excuse. Like, it was, right. yeah, you could just do it. Yeah, you could just do it. Um, thankfully, we so we just tested Creep too. This I week. heard last Wednesday. You had yeah, a, I, I was coloring Doc Butter over in the in the West Side. Uh -huh. How did it go? Uh, surprisingly well. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm not counting my chickens by any means, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we, there's still work to be done, but uh, but I was really surprised by how people took to it. And it was mostly people who had seen the first movie yeah. and enjoyed the first movie, and that's, I mean, that's the audience for it. Yep. But um, uh, do, you, do you feel like you're doing something new with it? 
Yes. I feel like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and it's funny because I feel like the same way we made the first movie, it was a result of us kind of stumbling into it. You know, and just, I mean, it's, it, that is a, that is a raw way to make a movie where you're just kind of following your instincts and making big changes. We, I mean, we made a big plot change while we were shooting just because, you know, we had the benefit of shooting in continuity for the most part. So we could. Yeah. Have you had that experience before when you're making something and you, um, you know, not really. I mean, Doc Butter is the first improvised movie that I'd done, but it, that actually was pretty carefully plotted, you know? Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I haven't had that. I, I've reshot, like, you know, like my first movie, uh, I I submitted it to Sundance and they were like, you you know, you don't know how to write and you should, you know, rewrite the script. You know, like uh, I, sh- I submitted the script to go to the labs and they were okay. like, this is not ready. And I got very angry at them, said, fuck you, I'm going to make it. And I made it, and then it was a mess. Right. And so I had to learn to write uh, after the fact. Was and that Chuck and Buck? No, it was Star Maps. Okay. Uh, and so I reshot, like, a third of it was reshot after oh, wow. I rewrote it. So, wow. And, um, and I did reshoots for the next three films. My first four films, I've done reshoots, and the last four I have not. But um, I, uh, I would love to be shooting continuity and be able to do that, to, like, yeah. you know, like... Um, just figure out where things where things go. Yeah. Do you try? Do you, I mean? Do you try to plan it so it can be as much in continuity as possible, or are you just beholden to? I mean, it depends, but yes, usually way. it's always always best. You know, yeah. I do like throwing the actors into something that they don't want to do on day two. Yeah. Like you know, like you mean jumping ahead of time or something, or just or? something emotional, something that like you know, like the, you know the the scene that they're, they're dreading and that they think is way too important. Yeah, I like getting that done like almost immediately. Yeah, uh, because uh, I don't want them to be thinking about it the right. time we're shooting. You know, that's so really it's like, smart. It's nice to just throw them in. They're very angry at you, and yeah, and then you start making the movie. Yeah, and well, it's an icebreaker. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's important to like. Uh, let them know that they they cannot really control the thing, you know. Right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, no one's in control. It's just this this amorphous thing that's happening, you know, this train. I when we made it's funny. I mean, we didn't have the benefit of time when we were making the overnight, mm-hmm. but you know, the final sex scene I think was something that was on everyone's mind the entire time. Yeah, and I think, and it was also. This the last thing we shot, basically. And I'm grateful for that because I think the way that it was originally written, it was a lot different than it ended up being in, in the final movie. It, it was a lot less kind of tender and um, sort of like he- like hesitant, you know? <laughs> and so I'm grateful that we actually waited. And everybody got to like uh, like each other and... Yeah, yeah. And at least, uh, yeah, and, and really, you know, understand the the escalation and get to this point where you know they they were they were everyone was being super super vulnerable with each other but yet it made it made sense it it didn't feel like a break you know a thematic break from what we'd already done it's such a wonderful movie dude oh thanks I, 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 it's such a fun movie oh, and it's, thank you. it's such a wonderful movie like uh you really like uh get us in your hands and never let let go you know i love that about a movie when you're like Okay, I'm in great storytelling hands, and like yeah. they got me, and 
I, I think it's like telling a feature film is like surfing. Yeah. Like if you can catch a wave and never get off of it. If yeah. you can if you can create the perfect, you know, way for somebody to surf for the whole 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh it is such a great experience. Yeah. And uh, uh it, it was it was like just so gripping and funny and and uh uh, and just so much fun from, from beginning to end. Oh, thanks. Uh, have you worked with Jason before? I have in television. Mike White had a short-lived uh, TV series called Cracking Up on okay. Fox. And it was Jason was a, a psychology student that ends up living at, at this crazy rich people's home for free in exchange to, for therapy for them, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's called and uh, and uh, uh, Molly Shannon was in it. Oh and, my uh, god! And his girlfriend at the time, uh, 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 Zoe uh, Deschanel, uh-huh. was in the in the show. So we got to spend a week together working. He's he's fantastic. He's I mean he's an angel man. I mean we we he came to the project super late and it was a surprise. And I'm so grateful because that role could have easily been you know creepy or sort of like off putting in a bad way. And because it's Jason, it's too sweet. Yeah, yeah he's like, too like, sweet. He just like he, he can get away with it. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't have a mean bone in his body, and um, and so there was this like inclusivity that attached to his his character that was like such a nice surprise, and you know. Um, does he take his shirt off in the in the, in the film? Yeah. I couldn't get him to take his shirt off in the yeah. show. He was hesitant. Very very uh, aware of his body hair. He yeah. was like, you know, Miguel, do me a favor. Don't. don't. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. Yeah, he was surprisingly self-conscious. He also, he had a two-week-old baby when he came to do that movie. Right. And so he, he was, he was, uh, yeah, he was a little timid with, he, 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 he said he had a dad bod and he, did, he didn't want to do it, but he, <laughs> it was, it was in the script. He had to. Okay. So we're formally starting our talk. Um, now. Assume yeah. our, assume our characters. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm Miguel Arteta and we're in my house. In the hills of Hollywood. And I'm Patrick Bryce, and I'm sitting in Miguel's big, comfortable chair, which is made for a tall person. It is. Uh, <laughs> and I, I might take it with me yeah, back home. A lot of people have tried. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I came in demanding that he make me uh, coffee and, and uh, with soy milk, and, and he provided it for me, so I'm very grateful. How's the instant coffee? It's so good. Is this instant? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all organic and whatnot, but I like it. It's good. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, so, so you're doing. You're very busy right now. I'm I, very busy. You're like um, finishing Creep Two. Yes. And then, weren't you about to make a movie? I was a. I was. Yeah, I was going to be making a movie this summer. Uh, originally with Jessica Chastain and Cecily Strong. Okay. But uh, Jessica had to uh, fall out because of scheduling. Then we cast Carrie Washington. Then she had to fall out because of scheduling. And then we missed our window to shoot for the California tax credit. So this is actually, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. This is my first experience making a studio movie. Uh, Which studio is it? Lionsgate. Okay, cool. And um, so this is the first time I've been on, you know, what feels like, uh, a very slow-moving cruise ship that I'm having to, you know, pivot, but pivot in in the slowest way possible. And there's icebergs, and you know, I've it's been. Um, I mean, it's, I'm working with great people, 
And if we get to make this movie, it, it'll be a wonderful thing. But it's, you know, I've been completely spoiled having, you know, first dip my toes into the world of narrative filmmaking, making movies with Mark Duplass. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> which you just experienced yeah, he for just, the first time. Mar Mark and Jay produced uh, Doc Butter, which uh, I'm just finishing. And they're incredible producers with Mel Aslan, who works with them, and and uh, and uh, a host of other amazing people. Yeah, I've never had it this good in 20 years. They're the best really? producers. Wow. They're, 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 they're just... They're really are kind of creating the dream of being like, you know, let's put the right priorities in the right place. Like it's about telling an unusual story and trying to say something about people and trying to have fun with it. And uh, and uh, it's been remarkable. So, yes, I could see that's quite a shock. Yeah. It's very difficult to make a movie with a corporation. Yes. yes. Corpor First of all, the hard thing is that you can't identify... Who has the power in a corporation to make things happen? Right. And that would be my first piece of advice. Yeah. It's like in the world that you're getting to know of Lionsgate, can you identify who truly is running that corporation to say yes to make your movie move forward? Right. Because uh, unfortunately, a lot of corporations are set up so that the person that has that say has a whole bunch of people underneath them that are terrified of losing their jobs and right. they would rather like have your movie not be made than having to take a risk with the, the person that can say yes. Right. So there's always a lot of that. You yeah. Know, you know, where where the where you feel like the momentum just dries up. Right. Because uh uh you know and there's you know there there's no shortage of excuses why a movie gets postponed. Right. <laughs> you know like like if you want to find one it's like like you know, generally speaking, the universe doesn't want any movie to be born. So like, it's like no, the the the, the traditional Hollywood system seems set up so that movies will not get made. Exactly for the most part. I mean, there's that idea of you know, as a director or as a creator, it's always good to be finishing something up in the middle of something and then starting something at the same time. And like, where do you f find that balance? Yes, right, absolutely. Um, and so I've just done that so i've i'm outside of finishing creep 2 um you know i in the in the meantime i you know directed an episode of their tv show and you know i'm i'm and then i'm working on another tv show with mark right you know developing and so it's like because this this studio thing is not my only thing it's not been as yeah. hard when you know reaching these roadblocks and and that's just that's just me just trying to protect myself from disappointment. And yeah. I'm always, I'm also like, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop on everything, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's my, um, you know, in order to like protect myself from disappointment, that's, that's the way I've always approached. Like I never believe that any of it's going to happen. If you can put your heart in it, you, it can not, never go wrong. That's my feeling. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of young filmmakers trying to figure out what's my best next step. And it's like, Really, if you can put your heart in the story, it can be anything. Yeah. And you can't go wrong. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, uh, the only wrong turn is when you do something that you can't put your heart in it because oh, such and such person's involved with, or, or you think you're going to make money, or, or for any number of other, other reasons. You know? That's built to spill. Built to spill. Yeah. That's happened to me. I, I got um, handed after I did Chalk and Buck. Uh, uh, they gave me a, a script for a pilot that was, and it was Martin Scorsese's first venture into television in, uh -huh. in, in 2000. Uh -huh. And I couldn't understand the, the script. 
I mean, like, it was just like, I didn't know what the fuck it was. I was just like, you know, the guy who I worked on on, um, on Homicide had like, had like written in it and uh, it made no sense. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I was like, I have to say yes, because Martin Scorsese is involved. Yeah. Can't and say it, no to Martin. You, I was like, I mean, that's just insane not to go. And was he a Chuck and Buck fan? Had he seen it? I thought so, but then it turns out that he, the only reason he hired me is because a, a scene I had done in one homicide episode uh-huh. reminded him of a Raoul Walsh movie from the 30s. Uh-huh. So he knew that I knew about Raoul Walsh movies, uh-huh. which was remarkable uh-huh. that he could decipher that I'm a Raoul Walsh fan. Uh-huh. You know, Raoul Walsh is like, the, the, the most energetic of the golden era of Hollywood, you know, fil, you know, filmmakers. He would make movies that just just go and go and go. Uh-huh. And uh, um, he was like, "That's why you're hired." And I don't think he saw Chuck and Buck. Uh-huh. So um, it was very bizarre. I loved the experience, but the thing turned out like shit. It was yeah. just terrible. And uh, uh, and was that because you had a take on it that you were able to follow through with, and then didn't work, or is that because you felt like you were having to you felt like you were fulfilling someone else's vision. Yeah, I, I couldn't put my heart in it. I didn't know what it was. And yeah. then and then the writer turned out to be paranoid and insane uh-huh. and an alcoholic. And he would just be like, call, you know, calling me at three in the morning and going like, you and the DP are trying to fuck me. I know you're trying to fuck me. Uh-huh. I can see it happening. <laughs> and he also forced Scorsese to cast, you know, Scorsese did something which, you know, this was the good thing of it. I, he was like, okay, you know, we're going to find an actor the way I like to find an actor. Uh-huh. Like call all the agencies in L.A. and send, have them send me tapes of people that have been in L.A. only one or two months at months, both. They've done nothing. Like just each agency sent me 10 tapes uh-huh. of a guy that just done nothing. They just signed him. And then he watched all of those tapes and he asked three guys to come. Uh-huh. And two sucked, but one was just, it was the new Ray Liotta. Uh-huh. It was just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. and, and I got to audition these guys with Marty who were so freaked out. They didn't even know. They'd just driven to L.A. and gotten signed. And like <laughs> suddenly they're like, Martin Scorsese wants to see you. Yeah. You got to go to New York. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was, and, and then this guy was like a little young Ray Liotta. You know, the story was about Marty's neighborhood in Little Italy. And, uh, and, uh, and so I was like, Okay, this is like amazing. And we were set, you know, yeah. like we cast this guy. Yeah. And the writer was like, Marty, I'm sorry, this is television. Uh-huh. And um, you don't know about, you don't, you know, there's a thing called TVQ where the, you have to have a number and you, you don't know about casting in television. Right. You don't know about casting. Uh-huh. And uh, Marty was like, just looked at him and was like, I don't know about casting. And he just, I like, gave him a completely iced him and was just basically, we were dead to him oh. after that. And then we, we ended up casting Mac Dreamy, uh, Patrick uh, Dempsey. Yeah. As this tough Italian guy. Yeah. I mean, he's like a ski bunny from New, you know, from New Hampshire. Right. And uh, so we were also dead in the water from the start. Oh, but, man. But, uh, uh, but if you can't put your heart in it, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and... You know, John C. Riley told me the same. He did the Days of Thunder, that Tom Cruise That's movie. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said uh, he learned that lesson in that movie because he was um, that amazing actor. Oh, my God. Uh, he's in The Godfather. He plays the consigliere. Uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall yeah. was in the movie. So he was like, I'm going to do this movie. I don't understand the script. It was like right. Robert Duvall's in the movie. 
And then it was like the biggest nightmare of his life and a total flop. Really? And he just hurt his career. Yeah. And he was like, he, I, we were commiserating. He's like, it really is like the moment you can't put, it's just the story. Can you put your heart in the story? Right. The moment you go off of that, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. So I want to ask you, what are your two biggest concerns right now? My two biggest concerns right now? Yeah, like regardless of movies or no movies or anything. My two biggest concerns, I mean, I mean one is Donald Trump. I mean, that's, and, and the fact that this is something I have to think about every day now, you know, and. Is, is having, being a father has made that a bigger thing? Because are you kidding? Because your kid is like, you yeah. know, having to grow up. And no, and I'm someone who, I mean, my, I've been with my wife 11 years. Amazing. You guys got together young. We got together super young. Yeah. And she was 19 and I was 22. Amazing. And so uh, when we met each other, I think one of the first things I told her was that I never wanted to have children because the world is a is a is a hard place and I knew I'd gone through enough hardship in my life to the to get to the point that I was then that I couldn't imagine putting a child through that right, right. And then being with someone like that and being with someone like my wife yeah. who is you know uh just like just an intensely nurturing beautiful person um who we grew up together you know because when you meet at that age you're a different person and we've yep. been like two or we've been through two or three different iterations of our relationship dynamic over that time you know um and you know there's was times where i was working and she was in school and then i was in school and she was working and uh and she she worked as a nanny a lot and so i was around her with kids mm-hmm. a lot and and I was just being around more more children, you know, changed that for me. And right. it became less about myself, you right. know. And it became more about rather than thinking that I'm putting this child through this horrible situation, I'm I'm b- potentially bringing more good into the world, you know. That was how I saw it. That was what I was projecting, right? And so and then also seeing how my wife was with with kids changed that for me and yeah. so um and even when she was pregnant i was obviously still super nervous <laughs> you know um and it's you know because there's all these things you can't control right yeah um but having a one month old on your chest that's, that's on election me. night oh god you know uh and uh both of us going to bed crying uh that was a really dark moment and and then what's crazy is he actually my son got a uti uh a, a week after that and like my wife is certain that it's because he was felt felt, felt the negative energy yeah yeah and he we were in the hospital for four days oh my god i'm so sorry um at what point were we at politically when Beatrice came to be because uh, it is such a well we we you know Mike wrote it uh, just when Donald Trump announced that he was going to try to be uh, you know get the Republican nomination and said that all Mexicans were rapists right and uh, and that I think fueled a little bit what he was writing right but we didn't think you know we shot it in um, August of last year yeah so even at that point. You know, everybody was like, "He's never gonna win." Yeah. Like, um, so we didn't think so. And when we were editing, 
I didn't think he was going to win. I was in a bubble a little bit. And then when he won, it was just too bizarre. We were finishing the editing. And then we premiered the movie two days after his inauguration. Wow. At Sundance. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, yeah. You know, and I... I, I, I mean, I feel like another part of this situation, obviously, is that all of this has been under the surface, you know, uh, or just below the surface. Yes. You know, uh, the, you know, the systemic racism, uh, you know, classism in this country. Uh, and so part of me is, ex you know, part of me, part of me is excited and part of me is invigorated that people are being honest with Exposing each other. Exposing themselves to uh, yeah. who, who's who. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also very scary for that to be happening while these guys are the ones in power. You know, it is um, very hard to answer what's the right thing to do. Do you know what Mark Duplass has actually been doing? With yeah, he told me a little bit. He's been going in in conservative outlets and just trying to argue, right? Like just presenting. Yeah, not stuff. even, not even like, not even argue. Just like I mean, he's really, he's really going. Uh, He's really going with as much of an olive olive branch as he possibly can, okay. you know, saying, uh, you know, I'm and and also because you know what a lot of these guys do is they, you know, they try to beat you in the argument by citing as many obscure facts as possible, and you know, uh, he goes saying like, I don't know as much as you do, you know more than me. This is your life, but here's how I feel, and I'm willing to talk this out with <laughs> you, you know, and. It's funny because, you know, to, to be honest, my reaction when I first heard some of the places that he was going to and some of the people he was talking to was like, why are you wasting your time with that person? Right. You know, why why on God's green earth do you want to talk to this person who's made their life out of spewing hate, you know? But then actually like listening to the interviews and just knowing Mark and like and, and seeing the reaction from people, it, it's been refreshing you know, because it's least at, at least it's like okay, a conversation can be had. That's cool. You know, That's great. And there is a basic there is a basic humanity that connects us that we that we can. Um, I think he was talking and saying that he knew certain premises that like they could agree on that he would start talking about. Well, for him, it's charity. That's charity, that's right. the main that's the main thing for him. Is it's like and kids like like we all want kids to be healthy and we want kids to be smart, right? So yeah. like how do how do how do we how do we do that? How do we agree on that? You know, um, and so I do think that that's constructive, and I really think it's and and it's also been a. You know, I gotta acknowledge it's like been a it's been a challenge to like my own way of dealing with this for me, like processing that. And um, you know, I guess I'm gonna try to put it through in my work. That's been the the sort of realization where it's like, okay, I can affect that. That is a way where I can affect some change. You know, at the point that I'm at now. What is your second biggest concern? My second biggest concern, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's being a dad and it's, um, you know, uh, it's uh, challenging no matter how you slide. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> like, and super complicated and it's, um, you know, it's amazing how much it, uh, brings out in, you know, uh, brings up. All, all, everything in terms of your like your own your relationship with your own father, you know, and 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 so many memories that I'd forgotten about come back. Wow. Uh, uh, you feel like you understand your dad better now. Completely, I feel like I understand all dads better That's now, cool. for the most part. 
you know, and that's another. I mean, that's another thing that that like completely offends me about Trump is you know making a statement like I've never changed a diaper in my life. Just like that, like you're just you're dead to me at this point. If that's something that you can't handle, then yeah. you know. Uh, when he was angry at that baby in the in the campaign rally, uh, <laughs> I was I surely I thought, okay, now he's done. Yeah, like everybody loves babies. Yeah, he was like he was openly saying like I hate babies. <laughs> Shut up, that baby! My, I'm, you know, like yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, but, but I understand. But I understand. I understand all dads in that I understand like being tired, and I understand um, wanting to cut to the chase, mm-hmm. and I understand the uh, the importance of time management a lot better now. I think, yep. and I feel like, and it's nice because I feel like uh, I'm a much more. Uh, direct person and and um, uh, you know I feel like I'm, I'm much more I'm, I'm much more honest than I've ever been because there's just no fucking around when you when you got a kid you know that's awesome I, yeah it's great <laughs> that's it, it feels very it feels very freeing for sure uh it's got to be amazing I think is you know there is a natural aspect to it that obviously uh gotta be just incredible to just refresh your See the world all over again, completely through through the eyes of somebody that's discovering it for the first time. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, and, and then go, I mean, going back to the work, it's it's influenced my choices completely, and it's lit a fire under my ass. Where cool. before, where I felt like I was sort of, you know, oh yeah, let's try and make this kind of movie, or let's let's try this out. It's more like now I need to I need to be constantly working, and I need to. You know, obviously, be reconciling, um, you know, my own creative impulses with paying my mortgage at the same time. You know, and like how how like that constant battle, yeah, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I think now, and I think with 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 um, with TV the way it is, and I think the fact that you can make in terms of like the way movies are getting made with private investors and stuff, you you can make unique movies that exist between genres. Definitely. And and, and make a living. Like you yeah. you can. Yeah. I mean that's one thing that I I see I see that in your your trajectory and you know, it seems like you've been able to f- kind of follow your bliss a little bit. In, in terms of I I've been been very lucky. Uh, I I mean I uh, television has gotten this golden era as I as I got into this, right? And, and so you know, like one of my first jobs was in TV was Freaks and Geeks. Oh my god! And then I got into Six Feet Under. I did three of those, yeah. and then I got to do Enlighten and Getting On. You know, there's been a lot of really good television yeah. that's been able to help support me, yeah. which has been great. And residuals are just awesome. Yeah, I did an episode of The Office and. Just one, yeah. Just like the residuals alone on that have been just yeah. so, so, so nice. But um, uh, it's you know, in terms of making uh, money in features, is it's it's difficult. Uh, you know, I've only gotten really, really paid one time when I did a Disney movie. Right. How was that experience? It was great, except for the editing. You know, really, they, like they got really involved in the editing. Yeah. And I also, I had a bad producer, you know, like, uh, even the studio was like, we're a studio and we're meant to interfere and fuck with you. Right. But we're just shocked. This Your producer's worse than us. <laughs> like, he's like worse than a studio. Now I know what it feels like to work with us. Right. So uh, uh, they got really brutally 
and also in a silly way involved with editing. You yeah. Know, like just like to the point that I started to do reverse psychology and getting the things I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was all about just screwing me. Like, yeah. And I literally was like, all right, I'll just be asking for the opposite. Yeah. And then they would grant me what I wanted. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. But it was a good experience. I got paid very well. And in pre-production and shooting, they were, they left me alone. And yeah. So, uh, but uh, I was able to find a story that I could put my heart in. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to sell out. I want to sell out badly, but like I have not been able to to find a script that I feel think I could you know do. You would want to make a really big movie at some point. I would be very happy. I came yeah. very close to doing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh huh. Um, and um, I, uh, if I could put my heart in it, yes, I would love to. Are do you? It. But are you like? Are you a genre guy? Are you a comic book guy at all? Not at all. I was yeah. definitely the wrong person yeah. for that. For that, yeah. You know, they were looking at me like, "Why are you here?" And I was looking at them like, "Why am I here?" Yeah. They just like Cedar Rapids, and yeah, I fit the bill of directors that they yeah. that they wanted to. You know, yeah. I love Cedar Rapids, man. Thank I think you it's very I much. think it's such a special film, and uh, it was such a such a joy. Um, if you can work with John C. Riley sometime, you should do that. Yeah, like, that'd be like, great. Like uh, he's such a Comic genius, yeah. Uh, I love I love him in uh, in Mark and Jay's movie too. That's that's actually my Cyrus. That's actually my favorite movie of theirs. Uh, it's beautiful, yeah. and uh, he's he's great, and everybody's great in Cyrus. It's just uh, I know he, he's a, such a unique talent, but I think you 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 I bet you could do something amazing with him. Um, uh, what are you gonna do next? Next, so I, I we'll see we'll see what happens. But I just found out on Friday that I got a script. Actually, that that a production company you just worked with, Christine Vachon and those guys are producing. Um, cool. And uh, they're that, awesome. That Zach Woods wrote. Do you know Zach Woods? Have you met him? Yeah, maybe I know his work, but I don't, I don't he's, know. Him he's um, he's on Silicon Valley. Um, you he was in In the Loop too. Mm -hmm. He was on he was on The Office as well. Um, but he wrote it for himself to star in. It's called Bully. Oh, cool. And so we'll see what happens. They don't have a financier yet, but um, we're like hitting the ground running on Monday with that, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. And, and that would be in in New York, um, which I've never shot in New York before. I've actually never made a movie outside of Los Angeles before. So Amazing. that'll be a New York is a friendly town for shooting. Yeah. People, people are really uh, it, it, they welcome movie making. Yeah, I still, I'm still completely intimidated. Even just stepping off the plane, going to New York. I mean, I grew up in a really, I grew up in a town of like nine thousand people in the middle of the woods you in know, Northern California. In Northern California, so like down uh, Nevada City. I've been to Nevada City. Really? Oh yes. On my way to Burning Man one time. Oh wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I spent the night in Nevada City. Where did you, did you stay in? Like one of the uh, motel, weird on hotels. On my way back from from I was so burnt out from Burning Man that in 1998 uh -huh. that I had to I stopped at a motel in Nevada City. Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a weird place to grow up. Because uh, I, I mean, do you know the, like the makeup of the town? It's like it's like a lot of hippies, a lot of back to the land mm -hmm. people, and then rednecks right. and a lot of republicans and uh and I was a child of hippies and so you know I got picked on a lot because and the high of, school because of that yeah, yeah. that's okay. part of the reason I dropped out and, and, <laughs> and went away but it was but my mom still lives there it's a beautiful place it is it is mike mills has a house over there yeah um, that he was building right nearby there 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that must have been a strange, tiny place to grow up. Uh, so you you wanted to get out just because it was difficult in school or well, my, my, it was small? My parents were divorced. I was living, I was going back and forth between houses. So it was like a week on, week off. So I would get on the bus with like, and I'd, I, you know, as a teenager, you have all your favorite clothes, you know? Yeah. And so I wouldn't want to leave separate clothes at each house. So I would like bring a suitcase to school on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And that became unsustainable, you know. And just like, I just, I mean, my my parents were like, if you want to take the GED and move to San Francisco, you know, we'll give you a couple hundred bucks a month to go to junior college. And so that's what I did. Awesome. And it was great because I was, you know, I was a 17-year-old like navigating the adult world, hanging out with a bunch of 30-somethings. Um, but, uh, you know, so it was like I had, to, you know, I had to grow up pretty quickly. But um, but it was good. It was a lot better than I would have fared probably staying there. You know? and, and you spent most of your teenage time I was in, in Puerto Rico until I was 13, and then I, I moved to Costa Rica when I was 13. And I got myself thrown out of high school at 16 so I could leave the country. Uh-huh. Because there was only one American school, and I, I knew that if I got thrown out, my parents would probably let me go to the United States. Uh-huh. And so uh, I had an American girlfriend, and we started to make out in front of everybody on uh-huh. campus. And my parents got a letter saying, you know, for having horizontal affection on campus premises. Oh, my God. In 1980, yeah, I got thrown out. And that was It was planned. It was pre-planned. Oh, yeah, it was pre-planned, yes. And like, uh, I, and... You know, it was very conservative culture, and they were all following us because the kids could not do anything without chaperones. But me and the was it Catholic, mom, super Catholic, super so, Catholic. Yeah. So we invited them to follow us. When my parents went, made the mistake of leaving for a month on their anniversary. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh huh. And I just learned to drive the jeep and yeah. moved in with my American girlfriend, and like just created such havoc and. Uh, yeah, the plan was to get just thrown out. And uh, where did you land in America? Uh, I landed in Boston because uh, uh, my siblings, who are older, all had gone either to Harvard or or Tufts or Brown. They were in New England, uh-huh. and uh, my older sister found a hippie school in Boston that I could repeat a couple of years and learn English. Uh-huh. And it was very liberal. She knew I would do well there, and it was a it was a really like. Crazy liberal place. And did when is that? Did you already know you wanted to make movies? No, I started making movies while I was there at this little hippie haven. You know, you didn't even have to go to classes. It was so. What was the school? It's called the Cambridge School of Western, okay. and uh, it had modules, and it didn't have really grades. It was it was one of the two uh, boarding schools in America that had had co-ed dorms, which was the wow. stupidest idea in the world. Yeah. You're um, asking for it. Oh, my God. The abortions were left and right. It oh was just God. crazy. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, <laughs> so I, I went there and I picked up a camera. A friend of mine's father did industrials and stuff. And he had a video camera. And, you know, uh, I was inspired by Buñuel and Fellini and mm-hmm. things like that. And we made a little weird experimental movie. And the moment I, I started doing it, I was like, uh, I feel at home. Yeah. I was like, I think I found my niche. I think this is it. Yeah. And uh, and I've never stopped making movies since then. Yeah. Did you move to New York after that? Were you there? I moved. Uh, I uh, I went to Harvard for a year, and I took a year off, and a year, and I took a year off. It was not a good place to, to be doing film, and it wasn't a good place for me. But um, then I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut because that that friend of mine who I started making movies was there, and 
they have the greatest film department in the world. Mm-hmm. And they have a film scholar uh, that she's still teaching there. And, you know, there's an impressive amount of filmmakers that she has put in the world, you know, yeah. of all kinds. Two years ahead of me was Michael Bay. A year ahead of me was uh, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul White uh, was on my year, Mike White a couple of years later, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, she's been doing incredible, like 15, 15 people a year putting for the last. What's her name? Janine Basinger. Okay. And she writes about, you know, the golden era of Hollywood. Yeah. Which is what I, I stopped being interested in foreign movies and I got obsessed with the black and white golden era of Hollywood. I still am a film geek of that. Yeah. So I, I, I got my education there, and then I went to New York for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very lucky in that year. Um, I got hooked up with uh, Sidney Lumet as a, mm-hmm. a location scout for two of his movies. Wow. And then my car mechanic introduced me to Jonathan Demme. Oh, my God. And he took me under his wing as well uh, while he was making a documentary about a his cousin called Cousin Bobby. I love that movie. Oh, you've seen it? Yes. Oh, my God. It's yeah. such an amazing experience. It's too. such a precious movie, man. It was, you know, like hanging out, you know, with Chuck D and yeah. like, um, uh, uh, and, and Ted Demi, who was doing Joe MTV raps at the time. Yeah. And, and then going to, you know, with them to Vermont. And he was putting the Silence of the Lambs together at that point. Yeah. And it was it was just an amazing time to be around him. He's someone that I you know I always loved, but I never really truly understood like the power of his ethic until I started making stuff and looking at that guy's career and realizing he could he he was just following whatever creative whim he had at any given time. Yes, and the fact that he was able to do that and like not only be successful but also you know. You can tell. I mean, he was making those decisions where he was putting his heart into each each one of those projects, and they're all so different from each other. I know. He, he it's remarkable. Like he's so curious about the world. You yeah. Know? Like um, and uh, so open. And you know, he would talk about directing is not about controlling, but it's about responding. Yeah. Uh, you know, to everything. And he was like, and great directors. The difference are the the people that understand that. Yeah. Because uh, you, I mean, I, I mean, some people maybe can, but I, it seems like a futile pursuit controlling everything. At least to me, I, I can't. Well, I can't it also imagine. leaves a, 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 an audience out. out yeah, you know, like you know, when a director you know has such a strong like control grip on it, you are like you, you sort of feel there's no room for me here. Right. You know, whereas if a director is responding, they're curious and they're responding to it, then it feels like they're extending a hand to you and inviting you to explore with them. Yeah. And um, it it really is the difference between leaving, you know, making room for the audience to be an active participant Uh or not. Right. And like, uh, uh, I think it's the key to directing, you know. It's it's just in that statement, which is like, you you know, you you have to... You have to consider your audience like a cast member. Like you're like, yeah. like you you have a job to do. Yeah. Here, like you know, like I'm gonna give you a role that you have to play. Yeah. An active role. Yeah. And uh, uh, and a lot of it has to do if you can earnestly be finding what they need to do along with yourself. You know? Yeah. Um, so, I was very lucky. A great year, like, and you know, and he stayed in my life. You know, I, I hired him to do episodes of Enlightened when I was uh, producing that, and he did two beautiful uh, uh, episodes. And 
Yeah, it's a yeah. Great, great loss. I thought that he was taking care of me particularly, and then I realized that he was mentoring and taking care of like dozens and dozens of young filmmakers, you know? Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Um, yeah, I think it's funny that curiosity, you know, I mean, something I think about, I try to think about this a lot, and I try to, it's something I lean on a lot is uh, when I came down here to go to CalArts, uh, my mentor uh, there's Tom Anderson. Do you, do you know that filmmaker? He made Los Angeles Plays Itself. Have you seen that movie? Oh, yes. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. You need to see that I hear movie. It's incredible. Right? Oh, my God. It's, I mean, and that's a movie you watch and you, you realize you've been basically looking at your Los Angeles your entire life. life yes. if you've been watching stuff. And How long is it? Three hours. Three hours, yeah. Three, maybe three and a half. And it's all you know, comprised of footage from other movies and it's all one long film essay. Wow. And it's kind of, it is kind of exhausting, but it's, I mean, you're, you're in for a treat, man. It's like candy. Yeah. Uh, But something he said, my first day at school, you know, this, this guy is a very kind of caustic curmudgeon of a guy or he comes off that way. He's a very giving person, but you have to get through that, you know, initial, initial uh, layer. And uh, it was like me and seven other kids and we were sitting around and he wasn't talking and we, he took us outside and he was, he was always smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. And so he was smoking a cigarette and he was kind of like look out, looking off, you know, in the distance. And he, he turns to us and he goes, yeah, you know, uh, one thing that's, that's really great about filmmaking is you can kind of be interested in everything. <laughs> and, and that, just that statement was like, letting the bird out of the cage or something you know that's exactly right and it's something i it's something i go back to with each decision i make is like you know i'm allowed to do this through this avenue and thank god you know yeah it's been such a pleasure talking to you yeah man thank you so much Uh, i know you're super busy in so many fronts so thank you thank you the time thank you i i know you're you're in the same spot so all right (laughs) thank you man take care Nick, thank you, man. That was a fantastic conversation. Thank you to Patrick and Miguel for doing it. Thank you to, to you for being the glue that keeps us all together, Elia Einhorn. Thanks to Mark Yoshizumi, our engineer and co-producer. Thanks to Gideon Brower, who recorded this conversation. And thank you to you for visiting us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and visiting TalkHouse.com and checking out all the awesome content we have, including our newly invigorated and vibrant YouTube page videos and video essays and live talks. It's overpoweringly wonderful. That's right. We have some amazing conversations that we recorded live at the flagship Sono store. You can see the David Cross with Gene Gray and Fab Moretti of the Strokes episode in its entirety. That's a winner. Also a winner and related to Creep 2, we cut a great conversation with Desiree Akhavan. Desiree and Dan Schechter in conversation. That's a great talk. You can find that on our SoundCloud page. And on our website. Find that fucking anywhere. And Find it on the ground, stuck to your shoe. Look underneath your chairs. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a podcast. And, and you, you get, get a, a podcast. podcast. Yep, you can find that on the site or on the SoundCloud page that has all of our 100 plus episodes. And iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. Till next time. Goodbye and good luck. <laughs>